Acts chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he, that's Ananias, kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. Then when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. Then great fear seized all who heard what happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body and carried him out to be buried and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of God? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Okay, I think we've all heard this story before and uh, we know that it is one that causes people to uh, have many questions. Um, People find it difficult. In fact, I've met plenty of Christians who really leave this out of their Christian experience altogether. I just want to read the passage before now because there's a contrast between Ananias and Sapphira. Uh, And if you haven't got a a feel for what their sin was, it wasn't that they didn't give all the money to the the church. The problem was that they, they said... They'd sold a field and they said that all of the money was given, whereas they held some back. So they lied about what they'd given. As opposed to uh, verse 36 uh, of chapter 4, which says, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means some encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. He, he gave all, and in verse 32 it said, All the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. Okay. So the Christians now had, uh, that was after the time of the Spirit, uh, had came. They knew they'd been saved by Jesus, and they had a new view about what was most important in their lives. And it wasn't money and it wasn't possessions. It was following Jesus. It was speaking about him. And it was caring for one another within the church body. And so here in Ananias and Sapphira comes a great threat to the purity of the church. A threat that comes through lies and deceit. I'm going to work my way through the passage and then I'm going to bring up some points at the end. But I'm going to start again just so we get a clear picture of what the passage is about. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. 
With his wife's full knowledge, he kept that part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Ananias lied about the money he gave to them. We can guess that the reason he did that was he wanted to look good. I don't know. He wanted to look like Barnabas, who gave all the money. He, um, he wanted to look big and generous, or something like that. Um, they didn't want to be seen as those who hold back or, or something like that. But in any case, his sin was to deceive the apostles, to deceive the body of the church, and actually to deceive or to attempt to deceive God. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you've lied to the Holy Spirit? He'd lied not just to people, but to the Holy Spirit. You kept some back some of that money. Um, kept back some of the money you received for the land. Did it, not, did it all belong to you before it was sold? Didn't it all belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? Well, what made you think of doing such a thing? You've not just lied to human beings, but to God. Peter seems to have been given by God here a, a, a supernatural insight and a knowledge to what's going on in Ananias and Sapphira. And he makes it plain. Ananias, that money was yours. You're free to do with it what you like. Why did you lie? Why did you lie by, about holding some back? And he says, Satan has filled your heart. Satan has led you astray to lie and deceive. Well, Satan's called the father of all lies, isn't he? He began, he, he, he brought lies into this world. Now, that doesn't mean that uh, Satan led you to lie so you're not responsible. That's like when someone says, uh, the devil made me do it. That's no excuse, is it? Uh, what Ananias has done is he's walked the way of the devil. He has done uh, what he was supposed to and he, uh, what he's not supposed to and he's lied. Maybe he justified it as, as we might. Uh, well, I didn't lie. I just didn't tell all the truth. You know that thing where you tell half a story? Tell part of the information and not the other part of the information? Uh, maybe uh, it's that bit where you just, you don't bend it, where you bend the truth a bit, you just exaggerate. Maybe it's, that's all I'm doing, you're just exaggerating. Exaggerating is not real lies, is it? And uh, what I've often thought a good question to ask ourselves in situations like this is because we can say, I didn't lie. The, uh, ask this question, yes, but did you deceive? Do you understand the difference? You can tell half the truth and it's not a lie, but your aim was to deceive. Okay. Deceiving and lying come from the same place. And they are very serious uh, within the church uh, as within every relationship. But uh, this passage is talking about the church. And at the heart of Ananias' sin, if we haven't seen it, he didn't fear God. He took the holiness and perfection of God as a small matter. So what does twisting the truth a little bit really matter if God is not... Fully holy. Well, does it really matter? Well, Ananias fell down and died. The truth matters. Can you see that? 
And great fear seized all those who saw what had happened or heard what had happened. And then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, carried him out and buried him immediately. As soon as his sin was exposed, he died. Is this punishment too strong? Is this too harsh? There's two reasons we might ask that, might say that this is very, very strong. Number one is simply this. We might think that a little half-truth is a minor sin. And Ananias dies immediately. Is that really fair? In other words, what we're doing uh, is questioning God. And I would say that if we say that, that someone should not be judged in this way for a half-truth, then we have the same lack of the fear of God that Ananias and Sapphira have. If we think that lying, a minor sin, obviously we have a low view of the holiness of God. We would have a view which some theologians call cheap grace. That is, we believe that grace gives us an allowance for sin. Well, maybe not all sins, you know, not murder and stuff like that, but grace gives us an allowance to do a few little sins, you know. That's wrong. Do you get that? Okay. The second reason we might think this punishment's harsh is, or too strong is that we might be thinking in our heart, well, haven't I done the same thing? Uh. So uh, we don't want that punishment to be right. We don't think it's really warranted. Now I want to say this right up front. God is right. And he judged Ananias and Sapphira in a way that is completely just and he's right as the God of all. And I, I don't want to deal with this question, but I know that people ask, so will they be in heaven anyway? Well, um, that's probably us saying in our hearts, God's not right to judge in this way. Actually, that's God's business and he will judge if he judges. But when someone lies to the Holy Spirit and deceives people in this way, well, God is completely right if they aren't in heaven. He is holy and he is jealous for his church. He is protecting his church from sin. And I'll come back to this in a minute. But see this, this event is public and then some young men came in and they carry his body out and bury him immediately. Immediately. They don't even try and contact his wife. It's as though, to me, this man's sin is so serious that his death doesn't deserve a time of mourning or an honouring of his life, just go and bury him. That's how serious his sin is towards the church. Now I want to make one little point here, just understand this. Peter did not kill Ananias. He didn't call down judgment on him. God did. God took his life. Do you understand? Peter is simply explaining what's going on in the spiritual realm in God's plan. Can you see that? We, we can't curse somebody's life and take their life away. We have, don't have that power, do we? Only God can. Okay, about three hours later, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. She hadn't heard. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter gives her a chance to tell the truth. Uh, He doesn't tell her what's 
just happened, the immediate judgment of Ananias. Probably if he said, oh, by the way, before you tell me the truth, Ananias dropped dead for lying, um, I think maybe she might have spilled her guts. But um, no, he just asked her straight out, is this the price you got for the land? And she blatantly lies to Peter. She also saw sin as a small matter. She also had no fear of God. And she saw that lies were not worthy of the judgment of God. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? The feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. She and Ananias had conspired. And if you heard me talk about conspiracy last week, it's about when people breathe out the same uh, uh, whatever, truth or lie or whatever, when they speak together of one accord. And they had, and it says, and she and Ananias had put the Holy Spirit to the test that essentially said to the Holy Spirit, well, you don't really, you don't really need to judge us for this. We're all right. Uh, we, we're not going to hold to your standards of sin or truth. Uh, what are you going to do about it? They put the Holy Spirit to the test and the Holy Spirit answered and that's how it ended up. At that moment, she fell down dead. Uh, sorry, fell down at his feet and died. The young man came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. She suffered the same punishment. She deserved the same punishment. God is holy and he will not be mocked. And great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. By the way, that's the first time the word church is mentioned in the book of Acts. God is at work protecting his church right now from sin, from the beginning of the church. Okay, I, got my, I am going to make five points out of this and uh, they, they're not going to take us all day, so that's, don't worry too much about being here uh, till Christmas. <laughs> but point one is this, our sin is exposed by this passage. Point two... God is forever holy. Point three, something I've never heard people really talk about, but I think it's clear in the book of Acts, the wrath of the Holy Spirit. Point four, God loves his church. And point five, this shows us the gravity of what Jesus has saved us from. But this story exposes us immediately as slackness towards God in the things that we speak, in the way that we speak half-truths, exaggerations, where we make up stuff in our head, where we say this is why this is going on, where we make up uh, all sorts of whatever we do, and our slackness towards the Christian community and particularly towards God. This exposes the deceit that lurks in our minds and hearts all the time. And it also exposes our view of cheap grace. We think that the forgiveness of God is an allowance to sin a bit. It exposes the fact that we don't think that sin, or at least our sin, is that bad. As verse 11 says, I think great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. When we hear about these events... We should be seized with great fear. 
we should ask the question, have we made the suffering death of Jesus a small thing? Have we made his punishment, have we made him bearing God's wrath in our place something so small that we think sin or a few exaggerations or half-truths don't matter? Have we done that? Or even more serious, have we got to this thing or this place where we think that God has no right to judge us for our sin right now? I am a a pastor and I can't help but be confronted with the fact that every day I have failed God in way after way. Okay? Okay? Uh, let's not hide from it. This exposes our sin, doesn't it? And as a pastor, I might think, well, a pastor has his place of special honour before God. Actually, no. James two, James three says, uh, don't don't ask to be a teacher. Uh, you'll be judged harsher. So you put yourself in a place of even greater responsibility. We should not read this story and walk away going, oh, that's cool. That's not what this story is about. This is about the fear of God that we should be seized with. And we clearly see in this story our sin is not just about what we do before other people. Because if we're doing stuff before other people, we can get away with it. We can hide it. We can say and we can think. We can do what we like. And other people don't know. We can get away with deceit. We can get away with lies. Without anyone knowing. But did you notice that's not what he said. He said your sin is before God. You have sinned against the Holy Spirit. When David had his sin exposed by Nathan. In, uh, in one uh, or two Samuel is it. Um, He said in his prayer of Psalm 51, against you, that's God, and you alone have I sinned. Our sin, every sin, every secret sin, everything that we consider to be a minor sin is a horrible stench before God. The reason that our sin is so serious is point two. God is holy. He is forever holy. So our sin is exposed By the holiness of God. Habakkuk says in chapter 2, verse 12, Lord, are you not from everlasting? God is eternal. My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You will always be there. You, Lord, have appointed them. That's in this case, uh, those who are bringing judgment on on, uh, Israel. You've appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. God is so holy that he will never allow for sin. He will never tolerate sin, not one. Not the smallest of sin. Do you understand that? He is perfect and he is completely holy and he is set apart and he is nothing like we are. And we must never think That God's grace means he doesn't mind sin. We must never think there is even such a thing as minor sin. 
We must never even think that the smallest sin in our mind doesn't deserve immediate death. Every sin we ever do deserves the same punishment that Ananias and Sapphira got. And it's only Jesus who shields us from this wrath at every moment that God looks upon us without destroying us. It's because of his holiness. His holiness was borne by Jesus on the cross on our behalf. God is holy forever and he will not be mocked. His justice will come. Okay. So as sin is exposed by this passage, God is shown as holy forever. The wrath of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is actively against sin and sinners in the Bible. Here in Acts 5 we see it. In, in, in Acts 12, Herod gets up and he uh, proclaims himself as God and he drops down dead, eaten by maggots. In Acts chapter 13, uh, Paul is there and a man is trying to stop uh, someone hearing the message of Jesus and Paul speaks and that man is made blind immediately by the Holy Spirit, we're told. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11... Uh, we hear that that's where we read each week about communion in the church, about the life of the church together. And Paul tells us there that in the Corinthian church, the, the people weren't caring for each other. They were having their feasts together as uh, the Christian community and some were rich and had lots to eat and some were coming and they didn't have enough food to eat and there was not getting shared, there was no care. Uh, and, and Paul says this, You're mistreating each other within the body. You're sinning against the body of Jesus. He puts them two as the same thing. He says, that's why some of you are sick and that's why some of you have died. Because you're acting like this towards other Christians. Has God changed? Does the Holy Spirit become a lot nicer in in the present age? Because all of these examples here are not the Old Testament when God was nasty, as some people say, I say that jokingly. This is New Testament. Sorry, this is New Testament. Christians. God will not be mocked today or ever. His judgment will come sooner or later. We don't know that. When? Sometimes there is quick death. Sudden. Sometimes he judges in a longer time, but always he judges because the Holy Spirit is holy. The Spirit of God is holy. How holy is the Holy Spirit? As holy as the living God. He's the same. Okay. So Habakkuk, in that passage I read before, he asked this question. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. How can, you, you cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why de- then do you, God, tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up more righteous than themselves? In other words, he's, saying, he's not saying, why do you judge so suddenly? He's saying, why don't you judge so suddenly? Sometimes the Lord judges quickly, sometimes he judges slowly, but he is not silent and he never will be. Over this world today, through all the things that are happening in homes, in nations, and in, in, in the church, definitely, God is at work, the same God, he's executing his judges, 
at judgment just as sure as the Holy Spirit is holy. Point four is this. God loves his church. In most cases of, in, the, uh, in Acts we see of this immediate judgment, it is actually happening within the household of God. God is protecting his church. He does not think that his body should become actively involved in sin. He loves his bride. That's what the, the bride of Christ is called, the church. And he does not leave us to live in sin and laziness towards his holiness. Why is the church like it is today? We wonder that sometimes. Is it a mess? Is it because of human sin? Well, yes. It's also because the Holy Spirit's at work bringing his judgments within that same church. He's actively at work. God is jealous for his church. Ephesians 5.25 uh, says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Jesus, the husband of the church, loves his church and he is actively at work bringing her to holiness. That's what he's about. And so he hates sin within the church body. Lies and deceit are not acceptable to God, especially within the church. Now, what we've got in Acts 5, we could say, oh, that's just God protecting the church in the beginning because it's a new church and he's got a bit looser since then. But Peter tells us, and he wrote this much later in his letter, now is the time for judgment to begin with the house of God. So be careful with our words. We must be careful with our words. The fifth point I'm just going to read those again. Our sin is exposed by what happened with Ananias and Sapphira. It shows the holiness of God forever. It shows the active wrath of the Holy Spirit against our sin. It shows how God loves his church. And lastly, this shows us the gravity of what Jesus has saved us from. His death on the cross was no light thing. He bore the wrath and the holiness of God who could not look upon evil in our place. We deserve death for our sin every day. None of us deserve life. The sins we've done, I I, I know I've said this before, but I feel like the sins I've done since I've become a Christian are far worse than those I did before, even though the ones I did before were just muck. But why? I feel... They're even more serious because I'm sinning in the light. It feels like the sin we do now as Christians downplays the cross of Christ horribly. Jesus was punished with the most horrendous, terrible, holy wrath of God because of everything that I have done. Not just before I was a Christian, but after. I deserve that. We deserve that. This passage should show us We need to be thankful for Jesus, living constant thankfulness for the grace of God. We should never allow for sin. And I'll finish by reading a passage uh, from Hebrews 10. 
Hebrews 10, 26. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we've received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sin is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of a raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. At every moment, we must be so thankful for the grace of God that's come to us in Jesus. Jesus has to be foremost in our minds at every moment because we are nothing without him. In fact, without him, we are in great danger. God is just. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage today. We struggle with it because of our sin and uh, we know our hearts are full of this sin against you. And Father, we just confess that. We've got nothing else to do but to confess it up and once again fall back on your mercy. Father, we confess that our thoughts, our words are very, very loose. We confess that they are sin against you. And Father, we praise you this morning for your holiness. We praise you for your perfection. And we want to confess you are right. You are true. You are the just judge. And so, Father, we thank you for Jesus, for your plan of salvation for us undeserving sinners. And, Father, we ask that as much as it's painful to do, that you will continue to pour out your judgment on sin in the church in us that you would continue to sanctify your bride and make us holy before you blameless spotless without stone we want to accept your discipline and your judgement upon our lives we pray this in Jesus name Amen